0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: with a little intro. And I'm going to ask maybe our ushers could make sure that um, Brandon and Grace, can you raise your hands? Could they make sure that Brandon and Grace have handheld microphones? This is like the word for all ages combined into everything. (laughs) Because today we're going to Crater Lake National Park. Does anyone know which state that is in? Oregon. Yes, great. Has, I know that the Reprobals have been there and I know that Basil Mansus as well because he sent photos. Who else has been to Crater Lake? Wow, nice. And we've got, yep, we've got every, nice, nice work. We have, this was much better than Big Bend National Park last week. We had zero. <laughs> and the theme for our worship, and this will connect back to it into Crater Lake, but the theme for our worship is curiosity. We're going to interact with scripture a little bit differently today like this whole worship is going to be word for all ages we're going to hear three different bible stories in a way that we might hear them at like vacation bible school presented to us by volunteers from the congregation and they have already been chosen so don't worry i'm not going to cold call on you to come up right now and do charades we're going to hear the stories of curious people in the bible and think about what their curiosity led to. What was the fruit of their curiosity? We have a story of Moses from the book book of Exodus, a story of Zacchaeus and um, Jesus from the book of Luke, and a story of the apostle Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch from the book of Acts. And my hope is that we'll come away from today appreciating curiosity, not as just like a fun trait that children mostly have and adults usually grow out of, but as an essential element of our relationship with God and with each other. My hope is that we'll come away committed to practice curiosity as a spiritual discipline just as important as all the others. So I want you to put yourselves in VBS mode if you can. If you want to like sit on the floor in the aisle, you can do that, whatever it is, or or your nighttime elementary school storytime mode. And let's see what comes from these familiar stories when we come as open as we can be, as we cultivate our own curiosity about these characters, about the events in the story and about the possible lessons. So we're going to go to our first one. We have Brandon, Grace, and Jenna presenting Moses and the burning bush.
2: Our story takes place in the wilderness of the land of Midian. So I need you to make wilderness noises. (laughs) Moses was a Hebrew child who had been raised in the Egyptian pharaoh's house as an adopted son. When our story begins, he is an adult who has run away from Egypt because he had seen an Egyptian beating an enslaved Hebrew man, and Moses had killed the Egyptian in a fit of rage. So Moses ran to a place called Midian, where he met and married a woman named Zipporah. Today, Moses is out in the wilderness taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Ba-ba-ba. Moses was leading the sheep close to a mountain called Mount Horeb, when suddenly, he saw a very unusual sight.
3: What is that?
2: It was a bush blazing with fire. But weirdly, the fire wasn't actually consuming or destroying the bush. It was an odd kind of fire. So we make odd fire sounds.
3: I have never seen anything like this before. What could it be? Let me get a closer look.
2: Suddenly a voice came from the bush.
3: Moses! Moses! Here I am. Stop where you are and take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. Um, okay, sure. I am the god of your whole family, of all your ancestors. Yikes, I should not be looking at you then. I have been watching what's happening in Egypt. I have seen how miserable my people are, how they are beaten and oppressed and given no freedom. I have heard their cry. I know how they suffer and I am here to put an end to it. You are here to put an end to it, Moses. I am going to rescue them from Egypt and take them to a new land full of milk and honey. You are going to be the one to take them there, Moses. But me? Who am I? I will be with you. This is way above my paper grade, God. (laughs) I will be with you.
4: I can't
3: do this. I will be with you, Moses. That will be enough. Just go one step at a time and one day. You will be right back here with a whole nation of liberated people. You'll worship me at this very mountain. I promise.
2: And so Moses believed God, and like Anna and Frozen, he did the next right thing. (laughs) This is the word of God for the people of God, and all the people said,
4: Thanks be to God.
1: (laughs) So Moses had run away from his home out of fear. He was living as an exile, afraid of ever going back to Egypt, because someone might call him out for what he'd done. Sometimes when we're afraid, we can't imagine any different kind of future, anything different than the mediocre present we're living right now. Moses couldn't imagine going back to Egypt, and he certainly couldn't imagine liberation for his people. He was completely disconnected from God, from his home, from his family of origin. But one day he was out in his, with his father-in-law's sheep and something out of the ordinary caught his attention. And as stuck as his life felt, as much as fear was dictating his life, this odd bushfire was enough to pique some curiosity in Moses. He was scared, he was stuck, but he was still curious. And his curiosity led to an encounter with the living God, which led to Moses becoming who he was made to be, which led to liberation for an entire nation of people living in slavery. It all started with curiosity with Moses saying, I'll give it a try. I'll get a little closer and see what happens. Our next story comes from Luke and we have Natalie, Rich and Pamela.
4: The chief tax collector is converted to faith in Jesus. Then he went into Jericho and was making his way through it. And here we find a wealthy man called Zacchaeus, a chief collector of taxes wanting to see what sort of person Jesus was. But the crowd prevented him from doing so for he was very short. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to get a view of Jesus as he was heading that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him,
3: Hi Zacchaeus, I see you up there.
4: Say, why don't you come down here? But today, I'm going to be a guest in your house. So Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and gladly welcomed him. But the bystanders muttered their disapproval, saying, (laughs) But Zacchaeus himself stood and said to the Lord, Look, sir, I will give half my property to the poor, and if I have swindled anyone out of anything, I will give them back fourfold.
3: Salvation has come to this house today, for Zacchaeus is a descendant of Abraham, and the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost.
5: Amen. <laughs>
1: So Zacchaeus was stuck in a different sort of way from Moses. Zacchaeus was a tax collector that no one liked. And who knows which came first, the no one liking him, or the dishonesty, whether no one liked him because he was a cheater, or whether he started cheating because no one liked him anyway, and what's the use? It was the kind of thing, maybe, where one small lie had snowballed, scraping a bit off the top here and there had turned into a bit of a more large scale stealing. And before he knew it, he was caught in a web of lies under a pile of wrongdoings that he could never seem to escape. Like Moses. Zacchaeus probably couldn't imagine anything different, any kind of future story other than his icky feeling present, rich, but lonely. But he'd heard the buzz about this rabbi, this miracle worker, this radical preacher, Jesus. Maybe something lit up in Zacchaeus, something tiny, perhaps, but real that said, I wonder what this is about. I'm curious about who this guy is. I'm not gonna like throw away my life and become a disciple or anything. I just wanna get a closer look. I don't want anyone to see me looking, spot me striving to see above the crowd. So I'll just climb this here tree and see for myself. And Jesus immediately calls his name Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. And overcome by Jesus' embrace, Zacchaeus confesses what he's done wrong, promises to pay it back, commits to a life of generosity toward the poor, and Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. This guy is in the family. Zacchaeus was sinful, he was stuck, But he was still curious, and his curiosity led to an encounter with Jesus, which led to a whole new life, salvation, generous living, a welcome to the family, and it all started with curiosity. With Zacchaeus saying, hey, I'll give it a try. I'll go a little closer, and I'll see what happens.
5: This is a reading from, This is Philip in the Ethiopian from the uh, new international version, and we spent seconds choreographing this so (laughs) stand by. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip.
0: Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza.
5: So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the Treasury of the Kandaki which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip,
0: "'Go to that chariot and stay near it.' Then Philip went up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. "'Do you understand what you're reading?' Philip asked
5: how can i unless someone explains it to me so he invited philip to come
0: and sit with him this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth in his humiliation he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth.
5: The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else?
0: Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look,
5: here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Hmm. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip
0: baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The word of the Lord.
1: The man in the chariot is not named in scripture. He's only identified by two labels that set him apart from the Jewish community. He was Ethiopian and he was a eunuch. Because of these, he would have certainly been turned away from worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. And the scripture picks up when he's on his way out of town. Even though this man has been excluded, maybe even ridiculed, turned off from anything having to do with Judaism or Jesus or any of that, there he is in his chariot reading Hebrew scriptures, trying to understand what they mean. Meanwhile, the spirit has spoken to the disciple Philip and motivated him to approach this foreign man in his chariot. The Ethiopian man asks questions, wonders aloud about the passage he's reading and Philip interprets it in light of Jesus' message and life and death and resurrection. And the man is so taken with this story, so transformed that he exclaims, well, there's some water right here. What then can prevent me from getting baptized right now? Well, in traditional Jewish law, there is much that would prevent him from joining the family, but Philip says nothing. There is nothing about you that makes you unworthy of baptism. The Ethiopian eunuch was ostracized and excluded by law and maybe told that all of this scripture, religious stuff was too complicated. It was not for him and yet he was curious. And his curiosity led to an encounter with the Holy Spirit through Philip, which led to joyful enlightenment, which led to an enthusiastic baptism, the beginning of a new life radically included in the fellowship of Christian disciples. It all started with curiosity, both Philip and the Ethiopian man in this case saying, let's give it a try, let's get a little closer and see what happens. Thousands of years ago, there was a mountain in Oregon called by the people living there at the time, they were called the McCulloch people, Mount Mazama. Mount Mazama towered at 12,000 feet. It was a majestic and attention commanding mountain. It was central to the people's rituals and religious practices to their whole lives, really. It was central to their lives, but like Moses, when he encounters Yahweh in Exodus, the Macaulic people believed that Mount Mazama was so holy you couldn't even look at it. That if you looked at it, it would surely lead to death. It was so central, so important, the stuff of legends, and yet, stay away. One day, Over a period of days, 7,700 years ago, around 5,700 BCE, it became apparent that Mount Mazama was a volcano, an active one, and it erupted violently. The magma chamber it contained emptied out through vents until there was nothing left inside the volcano to hold up the heavy outside, and the whole thing collapsed, bam. A big empty hole was left, no more towering sacred mountain, just a hole. Now it just so happens that this area of the Cascades in what we call Oregon, in addition to dramatic volcanic activity, gets an incredible amount of snow. An annual average of 43 feet now more back uh, in years ago plus another five feet or so of rain per year, and over time, the snow and the rain accumulated in this big hole, filling it up with pure water. No stream runoff, no river bank, and the volcano that became a hole became a deep lake that is the clearest and the cleanest in the whole world, vibrantly blue. The first European Americans to come upon the lake were gold seekers on their way to California in the 1850s, and they were apparently so awestruck by the sight that they were unable to come up with any sort of creative name at all, and suggested calling it Deep Blue Lake. <laughs> I chose the word curiosity for this week in our National Park series because there's so much that's mysterious about this park. Its past, its present, its future, its origin story is wild and chaotic. Scientists are still stumped by many things presently, like how does the lake maintain its water level? Because there is twice as much precipitation as there is evaporation. And they've determined that the extra water seeps out through holes in the, through the walls, but they can't figure out where that water's going two million gallons of water an hour and they can't figure out where it's going because they haven't found any streams or springs or paths carrying water that matches this lake water it's going somewhere or the lake would overflow only two percent of the lake's bottom has been explored so much of crater lake's present is mysterious as is its future The volcano isn't extinct, it's just sleeping, and a future eruption would destroy the lake entirely. All of this unknown, the chaotic past, the mysterious present, the uncertain future, and part of that to me is a little scary. Causes me to recoil a little bit, put some distance between us, no thank you. I'll stay away from that volcano. But the thing is, it's also so mesmerizingly beautiful in this moment, mysterious and full of stories and possibility and life. And so for thousands of years, the Klamath people telling their stories and passing them down, and more recently newer Americans studying and researching and visiting the area have not recoiled or stayed away or, on the other side, attempted to dominate or contain or control it, but have rather held Crater Lake kind of lightly, with openness and curiosity and wonder. Maybe the same way we approach the holiness of God. Lightly, like Moses, shoes off, sometimes afraid to look, but curious enough to approach, to stay present. Crater Lake is the deepest lake in the nation, a maximum depth of 1,943 feet. I think about the unmatched depth of this lake, the deepest in our country, but also its unmatched clarity. And I think about the conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian man, how curiosity made way for them to go deep, how it changed them. Curiosity makes way for gradual changes through conversation and education and experimental and experiential learning. But it also sometimes causes some very abrupt changes, like for our friend Zacchaeus, All in a single moment, a single day, Zacchaeus met Jesus and suddenly what was sacred to him, to Zacchaeus, his money, his comfortable lifestyle, his house, his clothes, his travel, what was sacred to him was shattered in an instant. And something entirely new took up all the space that was once filled with his greed and his focus on his self. One day this volcano in the Cascades just erupted and collapsed on itself and what was sacred to a whole nation of people was shattered. And something entirely new took up all the space. The lesson of Crater Lake, the lesson of these three different Bible stories is to me about an option that we have when things get rocky in our lives. Rocky in like a slow, erosive kind of way, like uncomfortable conversations across lines of difference, or even just everyday irritation with the people we love. Rocky like that, or rocky like cataclysmic events that turn our world upside down. When we're stuck like Moses in fear, or stuck like Zacchaeus in wrongdoing and loneliness, or stuck like the Ethiopian in confusion or exclusion. What these characters did, what those who have lived near and interacted with what we now call Crater Lake for the past 7,700 years, is they stayed curious. And from that curiosity in every instance came an encounter with the Holy. I'm going on a training, to a training this week to get better at small group facilitation through a program called the Center for Courage and Renewal. And one of the 10 touchstones that they use, kind of like ground rules for a small group conversation, it says, when the going gets rough, turn to wonder. That's our takeaway for this week, for both our relationship with God like our faith, our hang ups with religion, our dismay about how things are in the world, and for our relationship with God's children, with our big extended family here. When the going gets rough, turn to wonder. When the God you thought you knew caves in, seems to disappear entirely, turn to wonder. When you have trouble in relationships, get curious. When the Holy Spirit seems to be asking you to do something, get curious, especially when you don't want to, get curious. When you come to a deep blue lake in your life, peer in. When the going gets rough, turn to wonder. And so how will you practice curiosity this week? How will you practice turning to wonder? Will you practice it like Moses? When you're overwhelmed by a vast need or stuck in a routine that makes you a shell of yourself, turning to wonder might mean allowing yourself to notice small things, new sights or sounds or feelings, and stay with them a minute. And say, I wonder what the Holy Spirit is up to. Or will you practice it like Zacchaeus, noticing reactions in yourself and getting curious about them. I wonder why this situation makes me so agitated. I wonder why I'm behaving the way I am. I wonder what Jesus is inviting me to. What word of grace there is for me. Or will you practice curiosity like Philip and the Ethiopian? Instead of challenging someone to change or telling a loved one that what they're doing is wrong, get curious, initiate an open conversation. I wonder what you're feeling. I wonder what the story behind this is for you. Curiosity in this sense allows the other person to be a full person who is just as much a child of God as you are, and whatever they are saying or doing would make sense to you if you listened long enough. Curiosity leads to connection with our loved ones, with strangers, and with God. And so how will you practice it this week, turning to wonder? Let's step a little closer Give it a try and see what happens. Amen. Many thanks to all of our many, many worship participants today. We are so grateful that you are here with your full selves, all of you in this space and on Zoom. And as you go out, hearing the music, seeing the sights, feeling the love, know that there is indeed a God somewhere right with you. Go with great hope in the name of God. Amen.
3: NBUMC Weekly is a production of North Bethesda United Methodist Church located in Bethesda, Maryland. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook at North Bethesda UMC or on Instagram at Loving All Neighbors. All music is licensed via Christian Copyright Licensing International, CCLI.